It is great to be with y'all this morning. Regular attenders, visitors, and those joining online, which I have to confess includes a large constituency of my friends from the University of North Carolina. So we have a wide reach to do with those things. But as Reverend Langell Watson, who pastored University Methodist Church in Chapelville as I was growing up, used to say every Sunday, in the name of the Lord Jesus, it is a joy to greet each and every one of you and to see you present in divine worship. Seeing y'all here just makes me smile. Now, I don't know if you've been keeping track, but this is the ninth Sunday in town church has been meeting in person. And as we got to a great start, to this point, we have been very well served. We were blessed to have Jason Curtis, Philip Pulpit on the first gathering, followed by two of the leaders at Door Oak Church, then Catherine Summers' dad, then our own Dr. Richard White, and this last week, Pat Rudd from Reform University Fellowship. And having consistency in the pulpit is high on the list of priorities for the transition. But as we looked at the Sunday of Labor Day weekend, this Sunday, there were not a lot of suggestions being brought forward and not a lot of hands going up to volunteer. So despite my better judgment, I volunteered. In fact, I, I did already have a text in mind, so I figured I had that start. It was the same text as I used as a basis for a homily I shared that in town on the 20th of January, 2020. But I was going on, counting on the fact that there probably weren't many of you who were there then, and even those of you who were probably won't remember what I said. So please know when I say this, and I'm not saying this is going to be the same sermon, it's just one based on the same text. And I also figured that there's enough that's happened in the last 20 months to affect the way we look at life and the world around us. So I figured that there had to be a few new lessons that we could uncover in the text. As a result, I has already said this will be new strength. Besides, there is so much more I can say in a 45-minute sermon than I said in we're still tracking. <laughs> so I was feeling pretty good about this whole experience from beginning to prepare the message. And then I listened when Richard spoke the first time he did three weeks ago on the theme of how long over it. Now he did not base his thoughts on the text I had chosen, my text, but he did quote it and expound upon it rather eloquently from where I sat. So I thought to myself, how can I follow that? What can I possibly add to what Richard has already said? I was really discouraged, to be honest, and was even considering hunting for a new text. Trust me, that's not a small task, particularly at that point in the process. But shortly after that, I was reading 1 Peter and came across these words. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory 
as long as I live into this body, because I know that I will soon be put aside as the Lord Jesus Christ has committed to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Did you get that? At his end of his life, the Apostle Peter, the one who spoke at the gathering that gave birth to the church, the very first ever Christian sermon, was not interested in uncovering and expounding the new truth. Rather, he was concerned that those who read his words uh, would remember the, the truth that they already had received that they would know it well enough to live consistently in its light, no matter what happened to them. Trust me, it all happened to them. Persecution and suffering that most of us in the world today cannot even imagine. So, <clears throat> with Peter's encouragement, I figured I was on pretty solid ground to reconsider the passage while I just read to us from Lamentations to see how we might stir each other up by way of emotion. I may I suggest that you keep the text in front of you as we will simply walk through it together. Will you pray with me? And let's look at the scripture. Lord, as the psalmist said, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As a point of reference, when reading the scripture, it's always good to know somewhat of the context of when it was written. Who's the author? Who was he writing to? And what was the situation where they were? In this text, the author is Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah has been given the moniker of this weeping prophet because of the often gloomy nature of his message and the grief that he expressed for his people. I guess that seems particularly appropriate for a guy who wrote a book called Lamentations. I picture him something like an ancient Eeyore for those of you who visit the house of the point. Or like Puddle Plum Marshall, for those who would prefer non as the home of your fairy tales. And Jeremiah, like his readers or hearers, the children of Israel, are at this time of this writing in the very early days of the captivity of Babylon, at the beginning of the sixth century BC. So, in the midst of all this, what was Jeremiah's experience personally? And what was his message that he shared with God's people? Can I spoil a I'm going to lead with the biggest takeaway from Jeremiah's message. That way you won't have to wait till the end to figure it out. Or you can go over your plans for tomorrow's holiday without feeling that we're missing something. But just so you know, I believe Jeremiah's message to the Jews in exile does have a direct application for those of us who are living a life of faith in Christ in the 21st century. So you ready? Don't allow circumstances to shape your view of God's character. Rather, 
allow God's character to shape your view of your circumstances. And that's what Jeremiah did. So let's look at how it worked out in these circumstances. Beginning in verses 19 and 20, when Jeremiah looked at the world around him, he saw that Jerusalem had been left in shambles by the Babylonians, and the people of God had been carried off in their captivity. They had been ripped from the promised land that Yahweh, the God of Israel, had set aside for them. And after a journey by foot of nearly four or five months, they must have felt like they were on the other side of the planet with no prospect of returning to their home. I love Eugene Peterson's version of these verses, which gave me a more dramatic representation of Jeremiah's state of mind. I will never forget the trouble, utter losses, the taste of ashes, the poison I swallowed. I remember, oh, I remember well, the feeling of hitting the bottom. You know, you might say Jeremiah was having a bad day and had not had one for quite a while. And there was no sign that things were going to change anytime soon. But something did change. If you look at verse 21, Jeremiah has changed his focus. Yet, this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Yet, that's in spite of, or in contrast to, all I see around me. So, what was this, the this, that he chose to remember? Step right into verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Now, most likely, Jeremiah was talking about being consumed by their enemies. They were captive, but at least they were still alive. But I also think it's not a stretch to include the possibility of them not being consumed by hopelessness and despair. So, to what? Or to whom does Jeremiah attribute this preservation? It was because of Yahweh and his great love that the children of Israel were not consumed. He couples that with another declaration on the character of God, for his compassions never fail. Now, did you catch that? God's compassions never fail. That must have sounded strange, perhaps ludicrous, to people in exile. But Jeremiah affirms God's compassions are always sufficient to fulfill, fulfill whatever God intends to accomplish in and through his people. Jeremiah goes on to say they are new every morning. Not like brand new as if they never existed before, but more like God's compassions don't wear out and they don't want to. Now, I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate that point. <clears throat> it involves a confession. So it's just between us and those who got in. I hate to grocery shop. And when I go, those trips to the store are frequently prompted by an unfortunate discovery. Like when I check a container in my refrigerator, 
discovered that what I was planning to have then had passed its expiration date, or even worse, had taken on a form that no longer resembled what it looked like. <laughs> As a result, it was not only did it not held hold nutritional value, it was, in fact, potentially harmful, as you say. Similarly, I have on occasion been compelled to go to the store to replenish my depleted, depleted supply of any number of staples, like, say, fish oil capsules. <clears throat> now, I realize some of you are probably questioning why anyone would want to have a supply of fish oil capsules. But trust me, as you get older, you understand. <clears throat> Fortunately, when that time came, at the store I frequented, there was a bogo sale. You know, buy one, get one free. Heck of a deal from my perspective. Only one problem. The bottle I found was the last one on the shelf. So the store had to issue me a rain check to fulfill the advertised special. Only one problem. I'm still waiting for the call to let me know that that second bottle is there. So why do I tell you these stories? Well, it's certainly not to impress you with my skills as a household manager. Rather, I want us to help us all see that God's compassions are nothing like the stuff in my kitchen. In fact, they're not like anything at all. They are fresh, fully functional every morning, and they are never in short supply. Okay, back to the text. <laughs> did, did you attach the, the other amazing part of verse 23? God's compassions are new every there is not a day when God's compassions are not enforced. They are new the morning of the first day of school, when everything seems hopeful and there's a promise of a fresh start. They are new the morning that they feel new, when everything is good in your life and you're firing on all cylinders. But God's compassions are also new the mornings when you don't feel them, when you don't feel them, mornings when you wake up to great disappointment or loss or pain or confusion or exhaustion or even dread. And they are new this morning. So know this whatever you're facing today, God's compassions are available and sufficient to accomplish all that He intends. Beyond that, they will be due tomorrow morning. They will be due next week, next month, next year. There will never be a day when God's compassion is not in full force. And with a mindset like one that, it's no wonder Jeremiah explained, great is not full force. So what do we do with this going forward? Look at verse 24. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. The implication here is that Jeremiah says this to himself over and over and over again. 
To use Peter's words, Jeremiah constantly reminds himself of the goodness of God and the all-sufficiency of his compassion. And we can do that too. Over and over, you and I can make a conscious decision to believe what God has revealed about himself rather than what the world or our circumstances or our feelings are whispering or shouting in our ears. Now, notice again, as Jeremiah is making this sweeping declaration of faith, he was not in denial. Look back at verses that we started with in 19 and 20. He had just vividly described the difficulty of the situation in which he and the children of Israel were like rock bottom. But he chose to trust the character of God of Israel. Now understand, Jeremiah's situation did not change immediately. In fact, it didn't change for nearly 70 years. But he believed that God would do as he intended, and that what he intended was motivated by his great love and would ultimately be for their best. So what did Jeremiah base this hope on? His view of the character of God, the stories of God's faithfulness. For centuries, the Hebrew people had been sharing with successive generations the story of how the stories of how Yahweh had delivered their ancestors from 400 years of captivity. They recounted the stories of the plagues, of the Passover, of the parting of the Red Sea, of Moses and the Ten Commandments, and so many more. Over and over. They heard these stories and they passed them on to their children, who passed them on to their children, who passed them on to their children for nearly 900 years until the time of Jeremiah and the exile. It was those stories of God's faithfulness that gave Jeremiah and those with him hope. Now, those of us on the other side of the cross have a different and a fuller perspective. Peter talks about having a prophetic word made for sure. Basically, in Jesus, we have a perfect demonstration of God's great love and compassion. He is the ultimate, the clearest testimony of God's commitment to us and how he feels about us. And that's why I included the passage in Romans 8 this morning. Listen to it again. What then should we say in response to these? God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his, us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously, that is, freely, give us all thanks? Now, those are those rhetorical questions. Paul's not looking to begin a debate. The answer is already perfectly clear. What God did in Jesus was the ultimate gift. Paul's goal is to elicit a response, one of wonder, awe, 
and gratitude. So where are these verses leads? To the absolute, all-sufficient, unmistakable love of God. The last verses of Romans put an exclamation point on all Paul has been saying to the to, to the Romans uh, to, uh, to, in, in Romans to that point. He says, for I am convinced and how do you become convinced? By contemplating, remembering, and reminding himself of what God did reveal about himself in Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any power neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus all Now when we consider that truth how can we not how can it not inspire us to trust God? As awe-inspiring as these promises are, my response to adverse circumstances is not all that stellar. I've had my moments, but to be honest, I doubt I'm shooting 50%. And that's not exactly what I'll start counting. Can I tell you another story? Now that's a total question. What are you going to do, say that? Back in the 90s, when I was in my 40s, I took up this drum. And you say, well, that's not so bad. A lot of people took up this drum. But understand this up to that point, the longest shoot, the only one I had ever done, was up and down a basketball court. Yeah, I was also on the track team in high school, but my longest distance was a quick jog up and over a high jump. So why did I take up distance running? Well, I was newly divorced, and pretty much everything else in my life was going off the rails. But I figured the one thing I could control was when I when I went to bed and when I got up. And running gave me reason to do that. So every night I went to bed at nine, and I run for the walk the next morning at five. A few minutes later, I was out I started out at short distances, but soon graduated to longer months. Then I began to enter road races almost every weekend. 5Ks and 8Ks, then 10Ks, 12Ks, and 15Ks. And I had a closet full of t-shirts and a drawer full of finish mounts to prove. However, during that time, that I was progressing as a runner, other aspects of my life were going in the opposite direction. My inability or my unwillingness to seek out at work in my circumstances took me down roads I never expected to walk, ending up in places I never thought I could. If you want to put it in biblical terms, I was not walking or running as he is in the life. Anyway, with all this running, I got to into the habit of distracting myself uh, as the miles wore on by singing my way through the entire album 
of Jimmy Buffett's greatest hits. <laughs> songs you know by heart. I'm talking the whole album from Cheeseburger and Paradise to Volcano, 13 cuts. Now, be truthful, I'm guessing at least there are some of you who've got your favorite button to go on three to play. Nobody knows about Now, I signed silently, of course, because I didn't want the folks I encountered to think I was crazy. Those lyrics would always put a smile on my face, make the boredom unbearable, and distract me from the pain in my legs and my lungs and my heart. Ultimately, as I became accustomed to running long distances, I felt it was time to take out what many runners think is the ultimate challenge. I'm not talking marathon. I've never done that, and I ain't gonna do it. Yeah. Wouldn't be approved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about the Hood to Coast Relay. For those of you unfamiliar with this crazy event, 12 masochists put together a team and proceeded to take turns running walls, three each, from Timberline Lodge to the beach beyond the turnaround at Seaside. That's 197. And for those of you who are trying to do the math in your heads, that averages out to be about 5.5 miles per And I'll let you do the math on that. It multiplies out to be. Anyway, on my first leg, my first time as a little coaster, I was incredibly excited. I was running somewhere between Mount Hood and Sandy in the middle of the night. Let me tell you what he's talking about. Had an old roommate from Alabama who would say it was dark as the inside of the cat. <laughs> but that night was cloudless and amazingly cool. Picture this the adrenaline is popping, the endorphins are fine, the air is cool and clear, and everywhere I look, stars, horizon to horizon, no matter where I look, stars. There must have been a million. But what is the most amazing thing about that experience is this. At that moment, cruising down Highway 26, what I heard in my head and my heart was not wasting away in my room. Rather, it was summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in the course. Joined with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy. It was like God was saying to me, I'm still here and I'm not going away. I wish I could tell you from that point on, I continually took my looked at my circumstances through the lens of God's character. I still don't. I always. But I want to. And through this whole process, God has been gone and learned. He has remained faithful to his purposes in my life, and I believe those purposes are good. And this gives me hope, like Jeremiah, to continue to walk with Yahweh. And I pray it will give you hope as well, and that together 
who can all continue this walk of faith in Jesus. We pray for you. Lord, we, like Jeremiah, want to declare the greatest ideas. We desire to live out that declaration of love, in love and grateful service. But we don't always. Lord, we believe. We will trust you to continue to work in us and through us. That your kingdom may be advanced, and that the name of Jesus might be glorified. And this we pray with hope, in his name. Amen.